0: should really cut this but i hope they i hope they accept my audio kowtow welcome to the anime research group a show about the weird and wonderful mistake that is anime i'm ian i'm denny i'm freya and this week in our quest to watch all the shows we never had time for we look at miss hokusai a movie set in ye old edo where the j-rock guitars sing apparently but before we get into talk about this movie ourselves uh what have we been up to well, in the last few
1: weeks, I've mostly played video games, but I did watch a bit of anime. I finished off Aria the Animation, which is pretty damn good if you didn't know. But other than that, I watched the first two One Piece movies from 2000 and 2001. Man, that that was a trip back to the past. Like The first movie was just an extended episode of the anime, whereas the second was more what I would consider to be a movie with lots of unique character designs for the villains, a completely new and visually interesting setting. But at 15 minutes runtime, it really couldn't do all that much. It was still a lot of fun to watch them, just seeing all these characters Uh, again. Other than that, I finished off Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which is now my most played game on the Switch, which is not what I expected when I started it. But time just gets away from you when you're grinding out Blade Crests, blade quests and trust points and weapon points and various of the other dozen currencies that you need in that game. I enjoyed large sections of it, but I was also shaking my head at the absolute nonsense that was a lot of its plot, characterization and story. But I guess that's JRPGs for you in a nutshell.
2: Most JRPGs don't have a character, a main character from Yorkshire.
1: (laughs) That's true, that's true. Like, when I learned that that was the guy's first voice English voice acting role, that clarified a lot of issues with his performance for me. Whereas some of the other performances for Pyra and Mithra I actually really liked, and uh, some other characters, I think, like Zeke, I would have enjoyed more if I'd listened to the Japanese audio track. But that's the thing for me. When I play JRPGs, I tend to always have the English, um, the English voiceover on, rather than the Japanese one. <laughs> What the st- Which I don't know why I do it, but I just enjoy hearing that, hearing English voice acting in JPGs, whereas I don't enjoy English voice acting in anime. It's quite weird. How about you, Ian? What have you been up to these last few weeks?
0: So I've continued watching Sakura Quest despite only giving it a three or whatever I gave it. I, I have made it to the end of the uh, like two-part, uh, like the two-episode. Character spotlight uh, sections. I wasn't really feeling the Ririko section, but it was mostly okay. <laughs> I have no additional complaints, <laughs> but also, but also, not much additional like good to say about it on top of what I of already said in the episode on Sakura. Club. I'm also on the Anime Talking Field inaugural podcast. So, link in the description for that.
1: Podcast that's likely going to be much more successful than this, so Ian is leaving us for brighter
0: pastures. Yeah, I got scouted. (laughs) Uh, So, I guess, Freya, what have you been up to?
2: Have I watched any anime? (laughs) I've watched the second episode of
0: Hypnosis Mike with Denny. Yeah. That's a show.
1: It's a very fun show. It's very, very stupid, but very, very fun.
0: So this is the rap show, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I do like their dedication
2: to making the rap scenes as visually busy as possible. Also, their dedication to turning everything, any weapon in the universe, into a microphone. Um, yes.
1: It's, it's commendable. Like, when that terrorist ripped open his vest to reveal a bunch of mics rather than, like, explosives, that was just... We were both cracking up that.
2: Also, the, the voice actors, they're trying very hard with their rapping, and that's probably more important than it actually being good.
1: I mean, the beautiful thing for me regarding that is I don't know enough about rapping to accurately distinguish whether it's good or bad, I mean, so I just enjoy it.
2: I don't either, but I can tell. <laughs> mm.
1: Like, if, if you're interested in the weird-ass show this season, Hypnosis Mic is the show to check
0: out. Yeah, I uh, like. I can certainly say that JoJo's Star adventure has taken a strange turn with this season. Uh, so, Denny, why don't you tell us all about Miss Hokusai and what we're going to be doing this episode?
1: I will in a second, but first I want to share a piece of news with everybody that because it cheered me mm. up. You know these aren't great times, and lots of people are miserable. But one 13 year thirteen-year-old girl gets got her dream fulfilled this uh, this this month.
0: She got to go on a dream date with Godzilla. Like, I'm glad that she was happy, but I also felt kind of bad for her that, like, the way she got this was to be like kind of made fun of on a TV show.
1: Yeah,
0: but like, she took it in good spirits. Um, so,
1: but Miss Helgeson. The movie came out in May 2015 and was made by Production IG, a studio we've talked about plenty on this podcast, but just in case, Ghost in the Shell, Ghost Hound, uh, Haikyuu, only some of their titles. The film is based on a manga by Hinako Sugira, who passed away in 2005, um, which ran from 1983 till 1987. The manga, much like the movie, is primarily episodic rather than telling one coherent story from beginning to end, Focusing on various moments in the life of Ori Katsushika and her more famous father, Hokusai. Even if you don't know the name Hokusai, if you have any familiarity with Japanese culture, uh, you've most likely seen some of his works. His most famous works include The Great Wave, that painting of the wave crashing, uh, Red Fuji, or The Fisherman's Wife. He's probably the most famous Japanese artist in the 1800s, at least outside of Japan.
0: Probably within Japan as well.
1: <laughs> the art style he practiced is known as ukiyo-e and was primarily made through woodblock carving. Though this is curiously absent from the film where they exclusively paint on uh, on paper with ink. And I personally wonder whether this was done because painting with ink is more showy and visually like engaging than, sl- than him slowly chipping away at a block of wood.
0: Well, he didn't do his own woodblock carving. He had, um, he'd worked with various people, but there was like one particular one whose name I'm blanking on at the moment, but definitely did the research on, uh, who was like his preferred go to. And he, they, so he would paste the drawings on they'd do it, and carve it out. He did do it when he was younger. He did do it when he was younger.
1: I guess he became successful enough that he didn't really need to do it himself anymore.
2: Uh, just quickly. Um... The QE was uh, very influential in uh, a lot of European art movements, sort of collectively under the name Japonism, because, you know, <laughs> the weebs uh, have existed for The
1: early 1800s weebs.
2: And he's been influential on people like Gustav Klempt, uh, Vincent van Gogh, very influential on in German Impressionism and other art movements.
1: Usually we'd now go to Ian to give us uh, his summary of whatever show we're watching. But since this movie is a series of vignettes, what we're going to do is Freya's going to first give us a little bit of an overlook of the um, of the creative stuff, and then we're going to go through the vignettes one by one. So Freya, why don't you tell us a little bit about the stuff?
2: Yeah, so our director this time is Kei Hara who is, sort of fits into that weird uh, genre of anime director, who uh, in the West is mostly... One of the few people who tends to turn up at film festivals, along with the more famous names of Shinkai, uh, Mamoru Hosoda, and, of course, Miyazaki, or Oshin. He's probably not as well-known as them. No, he's definitely not as well-known as them them, and neither of his films. But just to go back, is another person who... um, It's an interesting phenomenon with uh, anime uh, directors, particularly the ones who are counted as more, quote-unquote, auteur-ish. A lot of them honed their style working on children's shows and films. He was assistant director on three of the many, many, many Doraemon films, but most importantly, and probably most importantly for his style, is uh, Shin-Chan. He was the second series director and was involved in some capacity in Shin Chan films, two to 12, usually as a director, but often as a writer. Mm-hmm. And then, but after enduring that, he started to get his own uh, original projects. Um, so, Summer Days with Ku, which is a film about a boy and his pre- uh, Kappa friend, uh, which I haven't seen, I would like to see. The very lauded, at least back around 2010 to 2013 uh, time, uh, Colorful which I've heard does not deserve its reputation, but there you (laughs) go, Uh, which is less aimed at kids. Uh, And most recently, not including this film, uh, Birthday Wonderland, which uh, you two
0: have both seen.
1: Yes, we went to see it in theatres, I think, at the beginning of the
0: year. Shout out to Scotland Loves anime.
1: Yes, it was fine. It was... I'd say it was discount Ghibli. It was very much a children's movie. it reminded me of What If Nino Cooney, but Not Ghibli.
0: What If Nino Cooney? The Immortal Question.
1: Apparently, there is a Nino Cooney movie, and apparently, it's terrible, so we will be having that in this podcast at some point. Goody.
0: My sum- my, I, have, I have a review of her birthday, Wonderland, in a different Discord, and my summary of the review is yeah, it was fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the greatest of praises. I'm not sure if critics like this film or colorful more, uh, but this one is talked about more these days uh, because uh, this one is talked about more these days, probably just because it's more recent and it's about a real person. Again, Keiji one of the fits into that, uh, that other <laughs> genre of anime director like Sutomo Mizushima or Masaki Yuasa who are all honed to their style working on Shinchan. Very important show that we
0: will never do on this podcast. Um, Why not? There's too much of it.
1: (laughs) And for our next episode, we'll be reviewing all 800 episodes of Shinchan. I don't know how many episodes there are.
2: Amazing. And all 16 movies or however many. But yeah, he's got some international clout as somebody who goes to film festivals. And he's another person who is big enough, I guess, to be able to talk about the faults of the uh, anime industry. So, good for him. Uh, there's mm-hmm. quite a few interviews with him on the internet, including one that's entirely about this film, which is useful to have, because that does not happen very often. The writer is Miho Marrow, who has written a lot, but uh, been series composer very rarely. Uh, just quickly, uh, again, on kids' things, I guess. Shonen Ashibe 2, uh, notably to me, the story of Saiyan Koku, the second season. Uh, we'll be watching the first season for this podcast sometime. And whatever Ultramaniac is. Uh, in terms of films, she wrote the script for Dog of Flanders, uh, which is another film that shows up in perfectly best underrated anime movies and things like that. Most interesting to me, she's the lead writer of Kyoso Giga.
1: Yay, Ria Matsumoto!
2: Yes, which we'll also be watching sometime. Uh, And she has written the scripts for uh, Hara's most recent three films, So Colorful This and Birthday Wonderland. And he described her as his partner in uh, making films. I don't know if that's romantic or just that they have a good working relationship.
1: Okay, so yeah. uh, I think that's enough about the staff for now. So, Ian, let's get into the summaries.
0: So, um... I, I'd like to think of this film as really being uh, a story we are being told by the main character. Uh, so our main character, Katsushika Oe, uh, is on a bridge and walking along and telling us some of her father's feats uh, that he painted this large bodhidharma, that he could paint two sparrows and a grain of rice. And there's a man on the bridge who tries to paint her, but he steps in dog crap, so she just walks past him because no one's got time for that. And, like, she's on her way to have lunch at her mother's house, and her mother is setting up the fact that it has been a while since she saw her blind sister, and that there has been rumours that uh, her and her father are taking on less and less work. And this is where we kind of get the title card with the Sarasubari uh, flowers blooming, Sarasubari being the Japanese name for this film. And it's a very nice title card. Uh, (laughs) No... (laughs) <laughs> Sounds really stupid when I say it that way.
1: Uh, do you do you want to just quickly sa- explain what Sasuberi is?
0: So uh Sarasuberi, just by the way, is also known as the crepe myrtle. Uh it's a flowering plant with pink petals. Uh that's native to India but also uh China, Korea, Japan, etc. And the pink flowers uh get represented quite nicely in the title card. Uh, where we see the title Miss Hokusai next to the kanji for Sasserberry, and then uh, in the last kanji, there's like one stroke that's just uh, a pink flower that I thought was a very nice touch.
1: That did look really nice. Yeah. Generally, this film's like visual composition is quite good. Uh, I found most shots to be very well composed when I rewatched it on my own.
0: Uh, yeah, I I, th- I think the the, uh, the composition is really good.
1: Yeah, it's not like uh, it's not
2: very flashy, but that's fine.
0: So um, our first vignette um, takes place with Oe watching uh, Tetsuzo. So Tetsuzo is how she always refers to um, her father. It's one of the many, many names that Hokusai took on uh, during his art career. I will probably refer to him as Tetsuzo, and Denny will probably refer to him as Hokusai, and you'll just have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I'm going to um, use yeah. one of his other pseudonyms, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or you want the one where he just calls himself like an old man, or uh, yeah. the, the one where he like his name becomes like one again, like Hitsu. So she's watching him paint, and he's putting the finishing touches to a painting of a dragon. And, uh, she's smoking as she does this and a stray ash from her pipe lands on the paper and burns a small hole. And this ruins the painting. And of course, this is when a man has shown up to check on the painting's progress. So they tell him that the dragon, quote, took life and soared into the sky, but <laughs> that it may come back tomorrow. Tomorrow being the deadline for when they have to return, have to, uh, have this painting ready. So Oe gets to work. She creates a a preliminary drawing, but it's kind of a fool's errand. Uh, She finds it hard to work because of the distractions of uh, people like Zenjiro, who is a drunk artist who is one of um, Tetsuzo's assistants and who lives with them, and the guy from the bridge, Utagawa, Kuninao. And so she eventually throws everyone else out of the house. The guys go drinking, the sky darkens, the wind picks up, and dragon eyes appear in the cloud. Uh, and then the next day, uh, as Zenjiro returns to the house, the OA and Tetzora sleep next to a newly created painting of a dragon. The first thing I guess I would like to say is that uh, these are, shows are done as, uh, like a series of vignettes. Um, but more importantly, they don't really necessarily correspond to events in Hokusai's life. Um, they take some liberties with their ages and uh, the time periods in which uh, certain paintings would have been painted. So the film is set in, uh, I want to say, 1814. Yes. Uh, whereas the dragon in the painting is c- clearly based on uh, the painting The Dragon in the Rain Clouds, which would have been finished in 1849, like, which was like the final year or the year before his final year alive. Uh, so it would have been one of his last paintings. Don't go into this expecting a, a historically accurate sort of biopic. It's not. Um, but just kind of enjoy it uh, because they, they, they're they very good at featuring the, the artwork.
1: I think the director himself even said he was not trying to create a biopic in any way.
2: Uh, no, they did. Sugi, when she read, uh, wrote
1: the manga, I got her name wrong. Right. Overall, I think this is probably my favorite vignette. I think the movie just starts off very strong. Because it does a very good job at introducing us to both uh, Oi and Tetsuzo. We immediately learn in the prologue that I think the line of we're a pair of father and daughter who live with two brushes and two pair of chopsticks, and we'll be fine with that. Some shots in this first episode show like their workshop, and it's like in a complete mess. There's rotten food lying around. It's not very clean and for a very famous artist, Tetsuo obviously doesn't make a lot of money. Just again, showing how they, it's really all about the art for him. I think at some point uh, during one of the vignettes, Oe also says that Tetsuo doesn't care for drugs, booze, or women. All he cares about is his art. We also see that in this vignette when he blows off the client. It's, it's not important to him that he failed the commission. It's just important to him that the painting got ruined.
0: I mean, this seems to be accurate to what we know of uh, Hokusai and his daughter. That, they, that he was like a very messy person who really only cared for drawing. Um, mm. So I think this is very good. Uh, one of the key differences comes across in that while they're both sort of, I, I wouldn't call them, la- uh, I wouldn't call them like lazy per se, but they have a very different work ethic. Hokusai uh, is. He kind of realizes that he couldn't do it even if he wanted to, so he's like, eh, there's no point in busting my uh self over it. Whereas Oe immediately goes to creating the new drawing. Uh and yeah. getting very frustrated by any uh distraction that occurs.
1: Mm-hmm. They're both very detached and aloof people. Well that's one of my favorite things about this film is just how similar they are in a lot of their facial expressions and behaviors, though OE is a lot more human than Tetsuo is.
2: Well, he's really detached. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: (laughs) So detached.
2: Um, I mean, I guess you could make a comment here about how she has to be like that, uh, and he doesn't, because of the society they live in.
1: I I never felt in the film that she was forcing herself to behave in a certain way to conform. Oh, no,
2: certainly not. Uh, It's just purely from a working perspective.
1: Certainly. Like, that, that was one of my thoughts, which I don't think they clarified in this. When she finishes the painting of the dragon, because at the very beginning, when she ruins the first painting, we see Hokusai is about to write his name on it. When she finishes that painting, whose name is going to go on it?
0: So this is the thing, right, is that it's not actually clear who was finishing the painting. She was definitely working on the preliminary drawing. But when we get to, to see the scene of the finished thing... Uh, they're both equally tired and flat out beside it. However, mm. the camera at that point really sort of focuses in on Hoksa, which uh, I took to like imply like him as being like the primary co- contributor to it. Whether that is earned or not, we cannot say. But I thought that was a very clever use of the camera directing our focus in this way.
1: One other nice thing I think immediately is. Just showing how much Tetsuzo actually respects Oe as an artist in her own right, rather than just using her for um, in, in in like a more dramatic version of this, Hokusai could have been like using her talent or exploiting her or just kind of mistreating her. But he's he's not a nice person by no means, but he's also not a massive asshole because he doesn't exhibit enough emotion to really judge him uh, in any in any certain way. He's just. His detachedness makes it hard to judge him.
0: Yeah, th- this is no Cinderella story. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Although it is worth noting that in real life, uh, she signed many of her paintings with Hokusai. So it's difficult to know which of his paintings were hers or his.
0: Yeah, this is a, this is a, good, this is a good time to actually mention this, is that he has had many assistants. But the works that we can like definitively attribute to her uh, are very few in number, yeah. uh precisely because not necessarily for bad reasons, but just because well the the brand hokusai is what people are paying for,, Yes, yes. Yeah. so uh is working better. but if people are interested in some of the work, um there's like the display room in Yoshiwara at night, the woman fooling cloth by moonlight. Uh, the operating on the arm of Guan Yu and a bunch of images of women uh, which is apparently what she was a specialist at doing
1: mm, I, think, uh, I think there's a quote from Hokusai saying that she's more talented at drawing women than he is
0: so the one thing that we haven't really talked about is that uh, the supernatural aspects that are going to reoccur throughout this show
1: supernatural in quotation marks I'd say because as you said in the description, we see the dragon like flying, or we see bits of the dragon sticking out of the cloud. But to my mind, these visual representations of the paintings are just a representation of the artistic force of their painting. It's the creative energy and passion they put into them,
0: uh, rather than any real like supernatural phenomenon. For, I agree for this painting. I, I think there are other examples later on where that's not yes. really a good, a good fit. But we'll talk we'll talk about them when we get to them, uh, I think
2: so just for some uh, brief visual thoughts, uh, the character acting in this film is very good. It's not like um, it's not like Kiwani levels of motion. it's it's fairly reserved, but their faces are still very expressive, and mm-hmm. the way they move is very natural. Uh, it's really good, especially when they um this film, much to my surprise, uh, was fairly willing to switch art styles at points, but we'll talk about that later when it comes up more often. But just even in this uh, first scene, there's a scene where everything goes monochromatic and they draw a Zenjiro just in a a black outline. Uh, So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that was good. good. Well, before we move on to the second vignette, there's two more things I want to just quickly mention. Is Since you since talked about good visual aspects, there was one thing that's, <laughs> that's not bad by any means. It's just something that really annoyed me. And the way they occasionally draw some of OA's hairs floating next to her head rather than being attached to it, I totally get why they did that. And it's a valid visual choice. It just annoyed me personally. The second thing is, which we haven't really talked about, is the dog which is something that is introduced in this movie. And I think in the original manga, it is in the original manga, but I don't think it was used for the same purpose there. Here, the dog is kind of used as a visual indicator of the passage of time because the dog ages over the the various sections of the film. But that caused us to raise the question of what was the point of that initial card saying, oh, this is 1814 when you're not going to tell us any of the subsequent time periods for the for the other vignettes, but instead going to use a dog to represent the passage of time, why not just use the dog to begin with and don't bother with the one title card? Because they want to give people
2: a rough indication of when in Japan's history this is happening. I don't know. A lot happened in the 1800s in Japan, weirdly <laughs> enough. Weirdly enough. <laughs> uh, also, can I offer a brief quote-unquote, defense of the uh, hair thing, even though I don't really have any strong feelings about it either way. Sure, sure. Uh, To me, they look like they're um, either supposed to be strokes of paint or, like, kanji strokes uh, with the way they're drawn and how they're not connected to their face.
1: Interesting. I I didn't really get that at all, but interesting. Well, I think that's enough on this vignette. In our next vignette, which Ian titled The Great Wave, appropriately so, I'd say, Oe goes to the monastery where her younger sister, Onao, is staying to pick her up and spend the day with her. We learn in both this vignette and the movie's introduction that her sister is blind, but they spend the day together at a bridge watching people and eating rice crackers. We then get introduced to another one of um, Tetsuzo's former students, uh, Hatsugoro, uh, whom Oe is interested in, which the film makes very obvious in the way uh, they depict her in that scene. This scene ends with them riding a boat along the river, and the shot eventually transitions into into uh, a depiction of the famous Great Wave painting with their boat kind of going up against it, which was quite nice. But yeah, over, overall, I thought this was another quite decent vignette. Uh, I specifically liked the way they dealt with her blind sister by increasing the sounds made by everything else. Uh, just showing how she would be hearing the things. M- what did you
2: think about it? I liked it. It was primarily to introduce the relationship between uh, Oe and... What's her name? Onao. Oh, oh, it was primarily to introduce the relationship between Oa and oh, Now, and it was quite good, because... Um, I don't know how you felt about their relationship, but it felt to me like she was... The way is very personal and obviously likes her a lot, but because she's so detached, it seems like she's being as hand off as she possibly hands off as she possibly can with someone who's blind. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, now herself, I actually liked more than I thought. There's a tendency with these sorts of characters to make them everything revolve around uh, how much their life sucks, but here they mostly illustrate that she seems to enjoy things pretty well, in particular how. I appreciated how much she enjoys uh, sounds uh, in mm-hmm. this film, which more comes up later, but is a little bit in this scene.
0: Yeah, The episode is structured around an outing to a bridge over the Sumida River where they are going quote-unquote people-watching. Uh, and obviously, uh, for Oe, she's just watching people. She's seeing the guy with the comically sized pepper on his back, and so <laughs> on and so on. But um, whenever we get Onao the, the framing sort of changes differently, uh, changes to reflect her experience being different. So we like hear the sound of like the water going and like the boat going under and then the camera like puts her in the corner and we see the boat going underneath the, the bridge. And like, the, so this framing is sort of like trying to give us a feeling a bit of how she would experience it. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the fact that the sound is coming from a particular place means that we should be experiencing it coming from, that place if that makes sense.
1: I, I also quite like their relationship in this scene. There is a nice bit where she is eating like candy and she puts it in Onawa's hand and she moves it about a bit. She takes her hand, puts it in, just showing how close they kind of are. Honestly, the introduction of Hatsugoro, while well, I get why the film does so, I think it's kind of a waste. It it makes sense to introduce him So, to show off that OE has more human emotions compared to Tetsuzo, that she is actually interested in other people. But they do so little with it in the confines of this movie that I honestly think they could have cut it entirely because I think it's two no, it's I think there are three scenes in the entire movie where they're together. Um, I think their total amount of screen time for him amounts to about two minutes or so.
0: So I, I suspect this is going to be a sticking point between you and me and Freya much later on, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like argue too strenuously one way or the other at this moment in time. What's quite nice is just how obvious uh she is. Like yes. we we get we get that she's not like the person who like takes the most pride in her appearance, that she's not maybe the most aware of how she is seen by other people. Uh she goes the entire scene with a brush stroke on her face, uh, that she just didn't realise was there um but like even onao is like oh i see what's going on here
1: (laughs) and i can't Uh, and i literally can't even see i
0: literally can't see but that was fun also uh one thing i like about onao is just kind of how fatalist she is (laughs) (laughs) yes like she keeps talking about how she is going to go to hell for like not being able to honor her mother and her father (laughs) properly her relationship with her father we get that we do get this idea that it's not as close as it is with Oe, uh, even at this point in time. And as we'll see later on, um, Tetsuzo has been avoiding her. Yes.
1: Yeah, I think Oe is, I don't know if it's here or if it's later on, but she calls him a coward multiple times for not showing up and not visiting his blind daughter.
0: So there are two scenes, uh, except for the one I've already talked about, that I think are worth pointing out uh, just for like their visual interest. Uh, one is when Unao is fascinated by this dragonfly that is hovering in front of her face and now obviously she can't see it but you can you could definitely hear it but I think it's just kind of nice how like we see her respond to it and react and especially when the uh, dragonfly flies away like the camera just pulls up and then she's staring right up into it That that was good yeah it was good The second scene, which was sort of visually interesting, we already mentioned it, was when they uh, transitioned from where the boat was into this representation of the wave of Kanagawa, uh, which was one of Hokusai's um, series of prints about Mount Fuji in the uh, 1830s.
2: Mm -hmm. Probably his most famous painting.
0: By far his most famous print. Uh, So it's not just in the visual composition of the scene, it's in the choice of color. So the way that these uh these Mount Fuji blocks were done is they were done with uh, a Prussian blue with various concentrations to give us shading. Uh and apparently the reason for this is it gives an effect like of looking at it during dawn or at sunset. Uh so where everything is kind of like all shades of the same color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh but the I I just I I did like the way they specifically uh Like changed the color of the water uh, as they, um, and then it sort of rolled in as a wave. uh, Well, I mean, as a wave, it is a wave. Uh, So it sort of all rolled into the scene, uh, and the water just got darker, and then it sort of went back.
2: Although it's interesting that the the art style around them and the background remains the same as the rest of the film. So it's an interesting little choice.
1: Both of them are very nice. I also,
2: this is just a little point, but I also appreciate how the vignette doesn't end there and actually just ends on the scene of them walking out over the bay.
0: Mm. Like, uh, I could probably just go through my book of Hokusai things and be like, okay, here's pro- here's the painting they're probably imagining because he has a lot of ones where people are just like in like their, I want to say coffee shops, but that's not the correct <laughs> term. Uh, they, they do a lot of these. Um uh, and I, th- I think that this this is a film that uh, it's probably good to, like, do a bit of, like, research into Hokusai before you watch it and you'll get a lot more out of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Just looking at some of his fam- famous paintings will do, even. Okay, I think that's enough about The Great Wave for now. So, Freya, why don't you tell us about the next vignette?
2: Yeah, the next vignette, which Ian has called Rokurakubi because of the uh, creature that's featured in it. I think this vignette actually starts off with a little scene of uh, one of Hokusai's uh, drawings of Zenjiro uh, putting some... What is he putting in his mouth?
1: Chopsticks, maybe? I don't remember. Some kind of small cylindrical
2: wood uh, item.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I guess they wanted to include that, and it serves as a thing. It serves as a scene to like introduce the point of this vignette, because... Oe is going to Yoshiwara to paint the famous courtesan Sayogoromo. Zenjiro has heard rumors about her head separating from her body, so he and Hokusai tag along. After she creates the paintings, which will be the outline for a woodcut, uh, Zenjiro and Hokusai try their hand at getting information on the rumors. Uh, So they go to... Uh, Sayo Godomo and um, Hokusai tells a story of ghostly versions of his hands leaving his body in the night and going about through the town and he muses about what would happen if he uh, cut them off or something. This seems to impress Sayo Godomo enough for her to let them stay and enter her room if they hear the bells on her pillow ringing. So this happens during the night. They enter to see a ghostly head leaving her body which is kept restrained by the mosquito net that she's put up around her mm-hmm. um her bed this is the uh, yokai rokurokubi um when the head returns to her body the courtesan wakes up and hokusai and ko leave
1: you know i think this might actually have made for a decent DD quest invited to the house then you have to stay out the night and kill the demon that's haunting them in their sleep Well, oh, that'd be boring though because i like how they just observe it yeah yeah i guess this is what you were talking about when you said that the supernatural aspect wouldn't make uh yes wouldn't, relation to the painting wouldn't make a lot of sense so it's interesting
2: because um oe and hokusai can clearly see the rakurakubi but zenjiro cannot um so when it uh, bumps into the mosquito net at him he just sees the mosquito net come out towards his face uh whereas they can clearly see it and this um i don't know if this is what they were going for but this reminds me of a there are a lot of um stories about vincent van gogh uh which involve him seeing things that other people can't see literally because of the um condition he had um
1: wasn't synesthesia no that's 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 the i don't i then. don't
2: remember what it's exactly called but basically he perceived uh colors uh in a particular a different way from everyone else and mm-hmm. i'm wondering if they're going for that here and how that's sort of they're making some comment about the way artists can uh take inspiration from the world that other people can't or something like that although Zenjo is also an artist
0: I, th- I think Hokusai, in at least this version of Hokusai, does believe this because like, he's always telling Zenjiro stuff about like, how he's like, too narrow-minded or, or something to that effect to try and be like, this is why you're not a good artist. In fact, well, pretty much every conversation they have is, this is why you're not a good artist. Yeah, <laughs> but uh,
1: I guess since he becomes famous, he might not be a good artist, but he does have the commercial appeal.
0: Yeah, that's, that's something we'll, 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 we'll see a little bit later on. Uh,
2: incidentally, Hokusai does have a drawing of a Rokurukubi in his uh, in the
1: Hokusai manga, uh, which is a collection of um, drawings he did. This isn't my favorite vignette, but I actually found it to be quite effective as, like, a little horror thing. That scene where she's sleeping on the wood block because essentially the courtesans used to sleep with their necks on wooden blocks, so their hairstyles didn't touch like the ground and could thus be preserved for the next day, so they didn't need to redo it every day. I think they even still do that
0: today in a lot of the cases. Uh, they, looks... do, they, they do that for a geisha, but they're probably the only people that still do that.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it just looks very uncomfortable, and the scene where she's sleeping on that and she, her neck starts spasming and like freaking out was quite a disturbing little scene. I, I found it to be quite effective.
2: Yeah. So... Um... Just in relation to the actual yokai Rukurikubi, it's—I mean—it's probably one of the more iconic ones. It's the the woman with the really long extended neck uh, that comes out when they're asleep. Interestingly, just a little bit about the history: there are two versions of this. Um, there's the old one where the head is actually flying, <laughs> but the the way it was drawn a lot of the time there was a little string leading yeah. uh, back to the body. A lot of the more famous yokai in uh, well, in anime, I guess, or just Japanese uh, media in general, were actually more or less created in the 1800s by bored, rich assholes. <laughs> um, uh, Rokurakubi is an interesting version of that because the way they've interpreted it is that it is actually just the neck extending out. And this wasn't said anywhere, but I'm wondering if it's um, particularly inspired, the, the, the whole neck Uh, extending thing is particularly inspired by these uncomfortable pillows because obviously it's going to have an effect on your on your posture over time i don't think the uh this version of it is supposed to be malicious in the um the the stories the older version was but i quite like how this is just a little spooky uh creature and it's not I mean, it's just mysterious in this film. You don't know what it wants or what it's doing. Uh, it just pops out, moves around a bit, and then pops back in. And I, I really like the way it's represented because it's drawn in a different uh, style again from the the regular uh, world.
1: I do appreciate how for a lot of these vignettes there isn't really any sort of narrative resolution. And that really works for the... It's just another day in the life of these characters. Plus, they just kind of return home. There's no resolution to the courtesan they don't like deal with the yokai or even paint it they just observe it and then they go home yeah and i really like i really like that scene where they go home i think it's visually very beautiful of like hokusai and senjuro walking ahead and they're talking about it and um always just a little bit behind them and I don't know what exactly it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. But
0: oh, I... One of the nice things about that scene is that it's set like just as the sun is rising. Like mm-hmm. they, they were there all night, and then they're like, "Well, you've seen you've seen the the spooky ghost head. Now please leave my house." <laughs> yeah. uh, and and so it's got that sort of end of the day, but it's actually dawn <laughs> feel, <laughs> which I very appreciate. Yeah, you pointed out that he had a that he had a uh, Kobe in his manga. I was trying to like, find uh, if there was any particular one that this was based on, but I couldn't. But I did find his uh, painting, A Woman Ghost Appeared from a Well, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also interesting because the word Rokurakubi
2: may be derived from Rokura, which means, well, either a potter's wheel, a water well's pulley, or an umbrella handle, and the water well's pulley is the relative thing, I guess.
0: If there is a problem to this, it's one thing that we've kind of touched a little bit upon uh, already, but not really maybe said outright, which is that at times this anime, even though it is named Miss Hokusai, the the main problem is that uh, Hokusai himself, uh, Tetsuzo, like overshadows everything, kind of in just in the way that his name is... Uh, standing over the legacy of um, not just ho but presumably other assistants of his.
1: I mean, but that makes sense for this movie because she did live in the shadow of a father. Even the, type, even the movie she's starring in is named for him. Thus, him kind of overshadowing her within the story as well makes sense, and she's always trapped in his shadow.
0: I, th- I think that it's just that for some people, they may be coming to this being like, well, she's the main character. Why is this like thing about him doing a spooky ghost story where she just was kind of there the movie
2: is still usually focused on how she's reacting to mm. events even in like this uh scene uh, scene vignette
0: so uh we can so moving from a vignette which is only like i guess tangentially about her to one that is entirely about her uh the one with all the fires <laughs>
1: Yeah, fires is, is kind of an odd one because it's the shortest vignette in the movie. It's only like three minutes long, and it's entirely about her leaving the house at night to run to a nearby building that's on fire, and we just kind of observe her looking, looking on as firefighters knock the building down to in a controlled demolition to prevent it spreading to the other building, because everything in old Tokyo, in old Edo, is made out of wood, which eventually caused that great fire that burned down most of the city. She just. Admires the fire before returning home, and the main thing we get out of this scene is, I think, her telling us that this is her fascination. Like Hokusai, I think I forget I forget what exactly she says, but she says both Hokusai and uh, Zenjiro have one thing they're like really fascinated. So, so,
0: so Zenjiro has a fondness for women. Ted has one for sweets. She has a fondness for fires.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I don't visually, it's it's a nice vignette, but. It really, ki- it's really kind of pointless because it doesn't lead to anything. If at, in one of the subsequent vignettes at any point she had drawn something about a fire or it had called back this vignette at any point, I think it would have been fine. But other, other than that, I honestly think this vignette could have been cut.
2: Yeah, but the like the last one doesn't really lead to anything later either.
1: The last one was at least a little bit about like their art, as in they were going there to do some painting. As here, it's just her running to observe a fire.
0: Yeah. I'm not really sure what they were wanting us to like get from this, but there were certain things that I got out of it regardless um one was like just about this opening uh shot where she's where she's running. We get this really nice uh shot in the dark of the streets along uh the district where they live. I'll talk a little bit more about how she's running later uh but then she just does this thing where she like turns a corner and then the camera like does like a I'm not sure how I would describe it, it like goes off and then rotates, and then we hear all the like, like it goes from being like a really quiet scene to where like nothing is happening to one where everything is all hustle and bustle. Yeah. So it never occurred to me before watching this that the way they dealt with fires was just to destroy the houses. <laughs> yeah. Because this is an eminently sensible thing to do, but until like someone points it out to you, you're just like yeah, how did they deal with all these fires? Especially because they indicate that that was like the second one in like two weeks uh, at that point.
1: I mean, I, I was I was thinking about when we were watching that, like Hogerside's workshop is full of paper. There's mountains of papers and they they use like a lot of candles. Like she burns at the very first and yet she burns down a painting by smoking. So that's all it takes to really kind of just set their entire
0: street on fire. One spark gone wrong. So yeah, like, but when you make that link, maybe that's what they're going for. It's just this this like reminder that what they're doing is very ephemeral. <laughs> Such mm. mono.: Also how... Also how
2: <laughs> she... <laughs> no, no. Also how she takes a lot of inspiration from uh, real uh, events, I guess. A particularly destructive thing.
1: Uh, but yeah, this is only like two or three minutes uh, of the movie. Next, we're in for a much longer vignette.
2: Yeah, this vignette is titled by Ian Snow. <laughs> Very um,
1: appropriate.
2: Oe is out for a walk with Onao, who's her uh, Hokusai's other daughter, um, in the snow. Uh, normally she's there to sketch, but she spends most of the time uh, describing the surroundings to Onao, of course, uh, and picking flowers and stuff. Uh, they stop at a sort of, I don't want to say a roadside cafe or shop or something. To, uh, to, but they they get something warm to drink.
1: A tea house.
2: Sure, there's a a nice little bit where the uh, the old um, woman working there is taking ages to get stuff done, and uh, another child comes along and starts interacting with her. Now he's very curious about her blindness in a mostly friendly way, although he's he's kind of a jerk in the way that kids are uh, can be about it. Um, he has a chase him, and they play around with the snow, knocking it out of the trees and just with snowballs and stuff. uh she's watching them Oe remembers her own childhood with hokusai um where he's uh painting, and she wants to uh play and throws a snowball at him, and he gets kind of annoyed, but not like abusive levels, and they end up painting instead, and she's clearly a bit disappointed by that Oe. Then snaps out of this to see that Oh, Now has um, well gotten tired and fallen over, and there's a bit of a brief scare. But she uh, she carries her home, and they there's a nice scene where they pass Hokusai in the street, but they do not talk to him.
0: Uh, so, the one thing that we haven't quite touched on yet is the reason why uh, Tetsuzo has been avoiding Onao. Like it seems to be that like he's kind of well, I mean, he wouldn't say a germaphobe, but he's like afraid of catching the sickness. Um, I think this sort of stems from uh, like Japanese beliefs about religion and taint. Um,
1: ah, yes, that well known transmittable disease of blindness.
2: It's more about, I mean, this is what Ian said, but he, he's uh, the like idea of uh, disease and purity, and he's mm-hmm. afraid to be around sickly people because yeah. of that
0: yeah it's so being uh, it's very Warhammer a kid. it's being around uh, places of sickness or as I already said taint might be enough to taint you and I mean granted he could just then go through the standard ritual purifications and whatever but I'd also get the idea that he kind of has just been using this as an excuse um, yeah. and be like well I don't want to catch the blindness <laughs> um But this this scene where they're passing by in the street is like, is really interesting because they're talking about whether or not Onao should go and see him because they're not very far away from his house. And then she's like, well, I don't want to like put daddy out and blah, 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 blah. And then like, like then they pass and it's just like, well, Onao never saw him, but uh, Oi certainly did.
2: The way it's framed, they're like opposite sides of the, um, the, uh, the, the frame. Uh, and they briefly go for a bit where they're walking down a street and they go to a like a cross section so the light comes across both of them and you have uh away and are now looking at the camera and uh Tets is always looking away. It's just, you know, perfect summary of their relationship
0: right there. So uh, it's a really good scene.
1: <laughs> uh, I think deep down he clearly knows what he's doing is wrong, but he just can't help himself.
0: Yeah. This yeah. is this is one of the more like I'm not quite sure what word I'm wanting for characterful scenes yes in uh in Narrative? the like no 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 cuz it, it's um i want a word that's kind of like emotional but not emotional <laughs> because first of all we have this entire extended scene between onao and the boy which um like you can just like sit there and like watch the 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 way they they've uh they've animated her reactions because it's really really important but also just, we get a lot about how Hokusai like is, was even a bad parent to Oe because although they're close and like she's like taken over while like his duties as like an assistant, um, even as a child, he's just, like, shut up and paint.
1: <laughs> this scene actually made me question uh, something because right now she clearly loves art a lot by herself, but I'm wondering whether her initial interest in art Stems from the fact that she really wanted to connect with her father, and art was obviously the way to go about that. I'm
0: wondering how you feel about that. That's def. That's definitely how it seems to be coming across to me. I don't know that there's any evidence for that necessarily uh, in like the historical record, but in the text that we have in front of us, sure, that's what I would I would think. Yeah.
1: Overall, I'd say this is probably my second favorite vignette, because there's just a lot going on here that I like. I, I like their initial scene of them walking, her like drawing a, a Japanese arch on Onawa's hands to show her what it looks like. was, was a good. very nice bit. Um, you you call the child a little bit of an asshole, and I think you'd be right, except that Onawa is clearly enjoying playing with the kid, like if... If she was in any way not enjoying it, then he would really be an asshole.
2: I mean, he's, uh, he's an asshole in, like, the kid way of, like, he's trying to engage with someone, but he's, like,
0: doing it in a kind of, like,
2: playfully play, play semi antagonistic way. <laughs>
0: yeah. Look, look, we all know who the asshole in that scene is, and it's the old woman. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say this for it is like, we were joking about how slow she was moving when she was getting them the Amazaki. But when O'Nao was injured, she fucking bolted. <laughs> uh, sure and so it's like and so it's like, god damn it, old woman, you were just you could have done you
1: could have got us our sacking much quicker. Speaking of when now, falls over, they actually do a fake out with that because at some point during the episode uh, O is sitting there, O'Nao falls over face first into the snow and everyone's like, oh, shock! Is she is everything okay? And then she just gets up and starts laughing again and chasing after the boy. And then we just have another scene later on in the bit in the vignette where she falls over again. And Oh Now is just always oh, just sitting there for a while. And then she realizes that Oh Now isn't getting back up again. Well, it's because she's having a, a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> and that just and and this scene of vignette also convinced me that Oh Now was doomed to die in the confines of this movie. Yes.
0: You did say that. Because she's blind,
1: she's a little child, and she's sickly.
0: Well, and she's now had a moment of happiness, so it can only go down from there.
1: (laughs) And she's already raised plenty of death flags while talking about how she's going to go to hell. Although she doesn't
0: seem that bothered by
2: it, but there you go. Uh, As we said, very fatalistic. Uh,
0: In terms of of animation, one of the standout things about this scene is the way they handle the snow. Like, I think I could just sit and watch it. Because, like, they, they throw a snowball at the trees and then the snow calms down and it makes the patterns in the ground. And it was just, it was like, yeah, that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. This is the work of
2: Toshiyuki Inoue, who's very experienced. And does a lot of work with, like, um, natural uh, elements of the natural world like this. So, good job. Uh, I really like the way they used sound in this scene. How, uh, after they get the tea, there's I don't think there's any dialogue except for laughing until she falls over. Uh, and in particular, how during OA's flashback, there's just there's no like uh in universe sound, there's just music. Mm. But even just how the, the scene before that is focused entirely on how, um, or now is like appreciating
0: the sounds.
1: I think that flashback might be my favorite scene in the entire movie. Because it tells us so much about their relationship. Yeah, it's good.
0: Yeah, so I guess the one last thing I, I kind of really want to mention before we move on is that one of the death flags that Denny mentioned was when <laughs> uh, she gives Onao the flower. And I spent a lot of time thinking about which flower that is. <laughs> I'm like, I'm at this point, I'm 99% convinced they're camellias, but I don't know why I, I, I cottoned onto that immediately and I was just like, mm, such Japanese. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the reason I, 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 I think it's important to mention this flower now is because it will be important later.
1: Yeah. yes. So next we have a vignette that Ian titled Buddhist Hell.
0: I like how you've uh, you've used all of the subtitles I've used, but I was careful not to use it in in my own vignette at the start. Uh, I, I guess people are just going to learn a little bit about me and how I name stuff. <laughs> uh, so I, I like this one. This is framed as a kind of a ghost story. Uh, with uh, uh, I think he's like their publisher. He's certainly someone who is uh, who is a regular um, procurer of work for them. Uh, called Manjido, and he's telling the tale of the effect that one of Oe's paintings had on a family who commissioned it. I'm going to mention right now I can't find the art in question that was attributed to Oe, but it's a pretty cool... um, uh, It was a kind of Hieronymus Bosch-style triptych, um, but that is 10 out of 10, would commission again. (laughs) Uh, But the effect of the painting... So this painting was a Buddhist hell and it was given to this family to hang in their house. And the idea was that it would like encourage them to like live as more like devout Buddhists. But the wife of the house has been experiencing night terrors and hallucinations of things coming out of her lantern or the painting or whatever. And I mean, she sets the room on fire. So (laughs) strike three for fire in this uh, movie. And... The way they, Hokusai resolves this problem is he, he examines uh, Oe's preliminary sketches, and he says, "Well, the problem is that the painting isn't finished." So they uh, complete the painting by adding a Buddha to the hell, kind of uh, bringing redemption to it. Again, I get, I get the feeling that a lot of what uh, uh, a lot of the dialogue of uh, Hokusai has been just telling people that their art is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was a,
1: a tutor, so... I'll be on and it does make sense for his role as kind of a teacher to both Zenjiro and uh, Oe. I'll be honest, I think this was my least favourite full vignette in the movie. I don't know what, what about it specifically that just didn't grab me as much, but I just wasn't entirely focused on when it was going on and I wasn't really like enjoying it all that much.
0: Well, I think partly it's because I think... That even amongst the film, this has a weird structure. A lot of this film, like I say, I think it's really framed as her telling us about her tales, but now we've got a tale within a tale in the form of like a ghost story. Uh I don't know if that plays into your perception of it at all.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I actually think you might have a point there because it's more of a closed-off story as well. Because as I said, I enjoyed how none of the other stories have clear resolutions, whereas this one have Hokusai does solve the problem. Yeah. And then we just move on. And his the solution: is to draw Buddha into the painting of hell. Which?
2: Oh no, way draw
1: it. No, he He draws it. it. Just he just went in and changed something about her painting to make it yeah. not cause nightmares, and it just didn't work. Well for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. When we phrase it this way, it's like, ah, oh, he's he's man painted. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, well except you say that but surely the fact that her painting is having this much effect means that really she did all the work um, even if it resulted in someone having horrible uh, nightmares and daymares. Um I do like the use of alternate art, art styles again and I particularly like how they've differentiated the um, yokai in this section from the rokurokubi earlier and I guess the dragon
0: yeah, uh, yeah.
2: because the they're drawn more like well, how they are in the triptych, I guess, than the than they were earlier.
1: I I do think it would be fascinating to have an entire anime that's actually in the style of Hokusai's painting, because while this movie occasionally uh, emulates his style in certain short sequences, it never like does so continuously for long
0: stretches of time. I th- I think I think like it would it would be interesting but i think we'd be a little confused by that because um like he's got a he's got quite an unusual style in that he did, bl- did blend like western influences like he has a perfectly well-formed idea of western uh, notions of um i was hoping that if i said words uh, i would remember the word i'm missing uh, perspective uh but with the same with the traditional almost flat uh, medieval esque ukiyoe uh Japanese characters that fit in with that hmm. um also one of the things that I've noticed uh, by paying a lot of attention to is is just how much times he worked on like silk banners uh and that's not an aspect ratio conducive to anime unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> uh. But, that one, but that's actually really good because like, the more I was watching it, the more, the more I was thinking about like, the composition and where my eye was drawn to at particular times because the scale was one that I was unaccustomed to. Yeah. But while we're talking about art shit, uh, they, they did do a good job of visually communicating this unease. Uh, their line work um, like varied depending on like, what the mood of the scene was supposed to be. Yeah. There's a very interesting scene where the uh madam of the household is just looking at her I'm not sure if it's a screen or if it's a window but all it is is like this wooden uh like trellis thing with like a white background and then the camera just sort of slowly moves and zooms in and it like left me feeling a little uneasy mm-hmm. <laughs> despite the fact that it's like just it's just a sliding door there's there shouldn't be anything about it and then of course the specific style they used for the like the tree of skulls and, and so on and so forth. But you can't avoid ignoring this scene. That
2: it's uh, interesting how the like weird little tonal differences in this vignette because the, the scene where she's looking at the, um, the, the one you just described where it zooms in on the wall is like it was very uneasy. But then the one with the tree of skulls I don't know if this is just because it's a tree of skulls and the skeletons are inherently funny, but. Um, but also, just also just kind of the art style. It's it seems more goofy, in particular how it focuses on how for her reaction she's also in that style, and then it comes out of it, which is good. It, it's it was a funny little scene, but it's just interesting uh, tonality. Uh, I I, nice. I
0: completely I completely get, get where you're coming from. I really enjoyed that too.
2: Yeah. Also, also more stuff about um, Buddhism and Shinto and purity at the end with oh we. We quote unquote fixed the painting. It was fine. It was better before. Um, <laughs> but uh, after that's done, a Swallow makes a nest there. Yay.
0: Yeah, so, so I, I wasn't really thinking about this when we'd done it, but there's only two kinds of vignette in this show. There's OA family vignette, and there's painting in the business of painting vignettes. Yeah. Uh, and, like, this is, I think there's a series of two in a row here, uh, moving on from, uh, like, these religious scenes, uh, which uh, Hokusai was comfortable painting, to um, more scenes of the erotic persuasion in the next scene.
1: <laughs> Look, if Ian isn't going to give you his title, I Am, he called this bit Brothels and Buddhas, which I very much enjoy as an episode titles.
0: Well, Look out for my RPG uh, coming next year.
1: Brothels and uh, putters. in this scene, Manjido is talking with Owe about her erotic prince. Manjido was the uh, the kind of manager Ian mentioned in the previous bit, describing them as technically excellent but as too serious and in contrast to Zenjuro's prince. Like he's saying that her that her paintings are missing a certain humanity that they're very technical rather than emotional. So as she walks home in the rain, she encounters Loverboy again, who offers to take her home under his umbrella. Classic. But when he then compliments both Oe and Zenjiro, uh, Oe gets angry and storms off because she really doesn't like being put into the same category of artist as Zenjiro. Owe decides to visit the brothel and experience sex firsthand in order to get more experience for her paintings and make them seem more alive. And she ends up getting dragged upstairs by a male prostitute called Kishia. She eventually decides she can't really go through with it and instead talks to him uh, about the buddha painting that's hanging up on his wall though he almost manages to convince her to get uh, sleep with him like he's coming on very strongly in this scene he eventually tells her about a dream that he had of buddha crushing a village underneath underfoot and falls asleep on top of Owe as they were about to start making out Oei then has a very similar dream where she gets crushed by a Buddha by the giant feet of a Buddha.
0: Like you made fun of the brothels and Buddhas, but at least I didn't call the "crush me Buddha" senpai <laughs> <laughs> or Buddha feet pics. Although those that would have been worse. Uh, I am going to say that um, at the time that these things are nominally set, she would have been married to the painter uh, Tsutsumi and so presumably not uh completely uh unaware of how sex and works but we're pretending that but we don't care about what happened in real life because this isn't real life uh i also don't think there's any reason to presume that she's like a virgin or anything but yes. like I, th- I think i think that the uh, that what she's the guy is saying is like you know it's it's like one of those bullshit things that men say when they want to like um like shit on a woman's work whether it's like their comedy or whatever it's like yeah it's good but it's not something it's not uh, made and, by a man and the something is uh hard to define in a well, way that it's they can technically
2: competent but it doesn't have the
0: heart of you you know <laughs> yeah uh, it it doesn't have the heart of the penis that it I, is required. I
1: would actually assume that she's a virgin in this section, mostly just because the way her character has been portrayed Sarah. up to this point she's kind of uh really closed like the way of her aloofness just didn't make me think she would have been that interested in pursuing relationships rather than art
2: Well, there's a difference between relationships and sex that's
1: true, but it did. I mean, at least the way I read this scene was, this was like his for her first time visiting a brothel. Certainly,
2: but that doesn't mean she hasn't
1: been with somebody.
0: True, true. Like, I don't know what it says about me, but I kind of like this male prostitute character. He seems like a fun guy. <laughs> he's a bit of a he comes
2: on a bit too strong, but I guess yeah, he's a he's a bit that's forceful. Probably, that's probably what his uh, his selling point is supposed to be, because mm. uh, the guy who was leaving seemed into it. Um, uh, for the record, uh this I don't know if this is obvious to people who are listening, but he's um he's a, a male geisha in corpse.
0: Mm. Whatever that is, Google it. <laughs> uh that's definitely like how he's presenting. And this one's kind of interesting because of it's touching on this themes of like uh like this sort of seedy underworld of um, like the floating world, which Hokusai is intimately familiar with because he's done plenty of paintings of courtesans and whatever. Mm -hmm. But also it's juxtaposed with this, this uh, image of Buddha that's just there on the wall (laughs) silently judging people. (laughs) I like the way that when uh, the dream is described that they went for this black and white, very minimalist style in mm-hmm. particular how the buddhas are like drawn fully but then all
2: the people are stick figures
0: <laughs> yeah 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 which is kind of anachronistic, but also it, it's it's it kind of gives it like a weird uh cave painting feel a little bit i would be interesting to know if the uh, buddhas were rotoscoped well the buddha and his disciples were rotoscoped because again uh i think part of what might India dear to people is the way he's animated very
2: expressively but again still within like the confines of normal human motion and also the weird uh, the, during the like scene the awkward little hops they do or like shuffles they do in the scene where they're actually well they're not gonna get it, uh, they're not gonna actually have sex but when they're doing that sort of thing <laughs>
0: Yeah, because he's just sort of put to sleep uh, on top of her, which is yeah, kind of well, a fucking
2: out. disappointment, right? Falls, falls asleep. <laughs> I mean, falls asleep. She,
1: like they the, they start making out, and she actually gets like really. If she starts getting into it, and then he just kind of lays on her chest and is like, "Yeah, just in five minutes, just let me go to."
0: And then he just sleeps. But the thing I was trying, to, I wanted to say about the black and white of the way Kichia describes it is this isn't how it appears to her. Like she, she gets a very um, colorful golden Buddha, and like she sees the world in a different sense. So I'm not sure if this (laughs) represents different levels of like spiritualism, or like maybe it's just contrasting someone who is an artist and thus has a fantastic imagination with someone who isn't, or if it was just a fun idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think you've gone to something with the, uh, like, how
2: artists view the world versus how non-artists do, because that's been a recurring theme throughout all of these, uh, well, not all of them, but most of these.
0: Yeah. Vignettes. We also get this really wonderful thing when, like, the Buddha is, like, walking closer, and it's so bright, and the shadow just shrinks, 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 and the screen just gets brighter, brighter, brighter. Yeah. It's thumbs up. So, next we're on to the penultimate vignette, which is called Double Dating. You know, people are going to be really disappointed when there aren't title cards with my stupid uh, thing. <laughs> so, uh, again, this is the third one in a row that we started off with Oe talking to Manjido. But this time, he is offering her uh, one of his tickets to a play. It's supposed to be on today, but he can't go for whatever reason. Uh, and his indication is that Hatsugoro was given the other. So if she's, she wasn't willing to take it before then, but she takes it, obviously thinking, well, now's my chance. And then on her way home, bam, Kuni Now swoops in. And he's like, hey, baby, let's go pray at the temple.
1: So just, just a reminder who Kuni Now is, because you've probably forgotten about him. He's the guy she runs into, the, uh, runs into at the very beginning of the film, who steps into Dark Crab. And that's basically his entire role so far. He's also an artist. That's all we know.
0: Well, we, well, I mean, if you do the research, you can learn a little bit more about him. Like he's a member of the Utagawa <laughs> school, <laughs> and that the Kuninao, like the Kuni, tells you that, uh, who his master was, because his master would have been Kuniyoshi, I believe. Not hugely important, but <laughs> uh, r- real people. Uh, I don't know if Manjido is real, but uh, Zenjiro and and uh, Kuninao certainly are real people. Yeah, so, like, he's... So she's like, yeah, I mean, it is the festival of uh, 46,000 days, which is just like a festival where apparently your prayers are, like, 46,000 times more powerful on that day. (sighs) So, it's a really efficient use of your prayer time. And he's wanting to use this opportunity to confess to her, but he's really, really bad at telling her that he's into her. He's like, oh, I'm gonna get these plants, and then it's like, oh, I I, I love you, and it's like, and then she's like, eh, "Whatever." <laughs> so she kind of like ditches him when he's like, "Do you want to get some toko return?" Uh, and runs all the way home. And this is very surprising uh, to the people uh, at home. I think it's just dangerous because she starts doing her makeup, she starts doing her hair, and this is a weird for her. She goes to the theater, and outside the theater, she waits for Hatsugoro. But alas, he is there with another woman. Uh and she's kind of disappointed by that and then it just ends and then it just ends which i liked i I was i would have been really disappointed if like we got another scene later on with like oh no she's just my cousin (laughs) Like, (laughs) like it was a sitcom or something yeah that that relationship just wasn't going to work out unfortunately yeah and I, I like how he never
2: shows
1: up again after that. She's still like, well, forget yeah. that. I do like how this scene shows that she has more human emotions uh, than Tenzo, at least as far as we know, because we never follow him as our protagonist. We don't really know what his true emotions are. But She exp- she certainly expresses a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But overall, I just wasn't a big fan of this vignette all that much, because as I said, I wasn't a fan of the whole Hatsugoro mini-plot.
0: Well, we, we we get to see Oe in a kimono with her hair done and her makeup, so there's that. <laughs> so all of you uh, Kuninao stands. This is this is really, wow.
2: What a selling uh, point.
0: Yes. Uh, not, not not Kuninao stands. Uh, <laughs> uh, Oe stands. Who's a Kuninao stand?
2: Nobody, unless you like black and white tartan. Mm. No, that's that's bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't have a lot to say about this vignette. We're just kind of alright, all but. Like, compared to all the other ones, there was nothing that really stood
0: out to me. It also doesn't really have a clear separation with the next one. They kind of overlap no. a little bit. But there's but there, there's two distinct stories, but they do kind of overlap in a way that none of the others did, which was a little disappointing.
2: Uh, again, I like the, uh, the character animation. is really the star of this vignette, I think. Uh, just because Oli well, doesn't actually say very much during this, but you can always tell what she's thinking about and how she's relating to uh, other things in the scene, even if it's fairly subtle. Like at the end, she just looks; she doesn't even look slightly disappointed. She just like this is the slight like um, change in her eyes, and it's like,
1: well, that's that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like well, I think I think it's I think it's more of a. Um, because she she shows slightly more excitement earlier in the scene when she's about yes. to go see him, and then she just kind of resumes her normal facial expression, showing that that excitement has completely yeah. vanished. That allows us to really read into her much better. And I think what you're saying about her expressiveness can really be applied to the entire movie.
2: Oh, certainly. But I, I just like how it was used in this particular scene, in particular how it relates to how she's just like, uh, how this like, quote-unquote... Um, Possible romance is just dropped uh, because that's how that happens sometimes.
0: Yeah, I I think that once I, I don't think it was as apparent to me when we watched it, but I don't think she says a word from when he asks her out for uh, when she makes her excuses uh, from getting noodles to the end of the scene. I'm pretty sure she doesn't say anything because I don't think she says Mm -hmm. anything in the house. Yeah, Um, but to to move away from Hatsugoro to the Kuninao uh, Oe relationship. Uh, one thing that is very clear is that just because she's not necessarily the best at understanding that other people can tell she was into Hatsugoro doesn't mean she's not aware that Kuninao was into her. Because like when they're like praying for stuff, it's like, well, what did you pray for? And was like, I prayed for an easy childbirth, and I was like, ooh, that's a that's oh, yeah. that's fi- that's fi- that's a finely crafted barb right there. I wonder
1: if he's supposed to kind of be a stand-in for the husband she didn't really like, uh, that we know historically existed. And that's kind of the... Because initially I thought that's where they might go with this. They didn't, but I'm I'm wondering whether that might be a possibility. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Just a little note here, uh, because I noticed it more in this scene. This uh, film is very inconsistently good or bad uh with crowd scenes um mm-hmm. because uh there are some like the when they're walking down the steps from the temple i think it's from the temple uh that are really good um because everybody's drawn distinctly they're all moving perfectly fine um but then there are others like wider ones when they're on the street where you can see the uh fairly obvious cg models at the edges um and one day people will learn to integrate c g well. I mean, plenty of people have, but it was it was distracting to me. Uh, obviously, I know why it happens um, but it's just weird because then also earlier with the fire scenes, the like crowds in that scene were really good again, yeah, yeah. and like when the um firefighters were breaking the house down, there were lots of people moving about, and that's a very complicated thing to do in the animation, but it was all very convincing
0: so there you go, just a little note. Okay, la- last point. Because we haven't mentioned the dog, and I'm mostly grateful for that. But in this scene, uh, he's next to Zenger the entire time, and their actions perfectly like mirror each other. And it's just, it's just amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, also, he's uh, an actual dog now, not a puppy.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, not, being a puppy
2: does not make you
1: not a dog. I don't know why I said it like that. So then we're on to the final vignette of the movie, which, yes. spoiler alert, what I predicted comes true, and Onau does indeed die.
2: Yeah, it's also the longest vignette, I
0: mm-hmm. think. I think it's not. I, I think it's uh, close, though. So it starts off with um, Hokusai
2: meeting with Onau's mother, who's uh, just offered a street seller money to release all of his sparrows, which is based on a little story, I think.
0: I couldn't remember what the story is, but this isn't the first time I've I've seen this done.
2: Uh, Now's mother takes this opportunity to invite him to come inside and see her Now, and he accepts. Anow is actually kind of excited that he's there, uh, putting out her hands to quote unquote see his face with them. Um uh when he goes home he creates a painting of a um a general, classical samurai general. To ward off evil, and asks Oe to deliver it. Uh, she does, and then she spends the uh, day there playing with her now, and uh, also sleeps there with him that night. And tells Oe that she she knows she will go to hell when she dies. And they also have a little encounter with the praying mantis. The next day, when Zendra arrives at the house, he claims that he was followed home by a little girl. Uh, they have like the obvious like interpretation of that as Oe. Runs off to sea, the door is busted open by a wind, and they all realize that, along with the flower that shows up at Hokusai's house, that hour has passed.
0: Symbolism. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we got the flower back.
1: I, I think this is another pretty decent vignette. Visually, there were some great moments in this. The shot of Ori running to an hour. Uh, the shot of Oe running to Onao's house is definitely the most dynamic camera shot of the entire movie yeah. but i also really appreciate the shot of Onao like touching Hokusai's face because she's lying on, on her bed and everything else goes black and we just have her and uh, Tetsuzo in the scene and she's like feeling his face to see it that was also really nice
0: so i'm glad you mentioned the running because completing what i was said earlier so she's ran several times in this show, but in the previous instances we've seen her running she runs in a very modest fashion to use uh gender coded language uh she kind of runs in like she runs in a pigeon toed fashion with like her arms going like side to side in a very dainty way whereas this time it's just full blown regular running and I thought that was a really good touch because in the other times she's just running to like go see a fire no big deal uh mm-hmm. where, where I mean. now it's now it's, oh, shit, my sister is di- uh, dying. This, uh,
2: this scene was animated by Masahiro Sato, who does a lot of um, action animation, mostly fighting. Uh, he doesn't do much uh, rotation and like zooming, though, looking at his other uh, works, or at least not that much. So I guess he was, quote, unquote, flexing his muscles here. And uh, good job. This is the, I guess it's the most uh, flashy scene in the film. Here's where I think. Here's why I think it's important to talk about this film's soundtrack, um, because while generally most of the music is either like standard piano or little orchestral bits with the odd bit of um, contemporary, uh, contemporary Japanese instruments in there too, they've also used a lot of modern. Well, I don't know about modern. They've used a lot of uh, like rock type. Uh, composition, so electric guitars and that sort of thing. Mm. And this uh, particular scene, uh, they have like a, I don't know if you call it a rock ballad, but something like that.
1: Yeah, the two scenes where Moat stands out is at the very beginning of the film, because when she's walking down the bridge at the beginning of the film, we also have those J-rock guitars. It initially pulled me really out of the film, because I was really surprised by it. But having read the interview from the director as to why they chose to put them there it makes more sense there I in mean, here it's a very it's like kind of the visually exciting climax of the film so it makes sense for that for that to be there i don't know
2: i wouldn't have used it in this scene personally i liked it at the beginning of the film because uh not to use the director's words but he
1: i mean you can't just quote him yeah
2: so they they um the director learned that um, Sugiura, the mangaka, used to listen to uh, British and American rock music when she was drawing uh, the manga, um, and he thought it was an interesting association, if unusual, and he thought it fit like oh, a sort of semi anachronistic character, so he decided to use it in the film that way. And uh, I like its use at the beginning of the film to like introduce that, actually. I don't know what I would have done instead, but this
0: is the scene where it sort of took me out of it a bit. Mm. Ian? Well, uh, do you, I don't have any opinion on the guitar. I thought it was a little funny. Um, so, yeah, I guess the, the, I, I already mentioned the running. Uh, I think we, I think Denny mentioned the fact that we did get the flower from before, which is when we get the, like, you managed to come by, by yourself uh, line from Tatsuzo. Mm-hmm. But the thing I'm not sure about is how do we feel about the fact that this vignette just followed the uh, visit equals death trope, or whatever it's called—the like if you put something off, then when you finally because something bad's gonna happen, then when you finally do it, the bad thing happens. Yeah, it didn't bother me.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know how I feel about specifically regarding that trope, but I was fully expecting her to die, so I saw it as an inevitability, and him visiting her just clarified that. Also, she doesn't die immediately after
2: he visits, or so he has a whole night with her after that.
1: We get a very gorgeously animated mantis there.
2: Yes, they did the uh, the illusory eye spot really well in that.
0: Yeah, uh, I think we all really liked the, liked <laughs> the praying mantis. Uh, the painting was interesting because uh, of the general because it's from one of the things from his manga, which It's less a manga in the sense we think about it and I think more like a reference book, I think might be a more accurate way of doing it. It's lots of different things, like here's a page of samurai, here's a page of flowers and so on. But I I know that if I were ill, I don't know that I would necessarily want a general to cut away disease (laughs) uh, as my gift, although it is beautifully painted and presumably worth a lot. Well, he also says when he's painting it how he like... um... We'll, we'll kill
2: death or whatever. We'll ward it away. Uh, where he seems to be talking about himself more than anything.
1: I also thought it was interesting. We don't really explore the relationship between Hokusai and his wife at all in the film. We just have this one what scene wife? with the two of them. Well, oh, now his mother.
2: She's not his wife, is she? Is she?
1: I, I don't know. I kind of assume she's the mother of his children. I don't know. I kind of assumed she was at least in some kind of
0: relationship with him. So, it's not entirely clear. What we do know in real life is that Hokusai was married more than once. And that it is generally believed that Oe is the daughter of his second wife. Mm. And as far as I'm aware, the youngest daughter. So, uh, this Onao could just be a purely fictional creation. But it's reasonable that he could have taken her on as a wife (laughs) uh, before... Moving on.
2: I mean, I also don't think that this is always mother.
0: Well well, I mean, it is always mother in the like at least insofar as she refers to her that way in the beginning. Uh although whether that's just like mother in the general sense of wife of my father or mother of my sister, I yeah. could not say. Yeah, because she does she does say at the beginning, should I come live with you instead? And she did say she would like that, so but mm. why not? Like Not every day a famous painter was in love with you.
1: I I just thought it was interesting that there is a lesser film might have dramatised this relationship more in a uh, in a oh why do you never come home or oh why do you not care
0: about your daughter? Oh, he does do this to though but she's the only one. Mm -hmm. Like Onao and Onao's mother seem to be like okay, but well, like this current the current like scenario is not ideal. But it's not the worst thing in the world ever. Like they don't seem to be like starving to death. Presumably they're they're making enough money and living and so forth. Like she can go to a monastery and learn her instrument.
1: I wonder actually if all the money Hokusai makes of paintings goes to them. We don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah, we, don't, we don't. I don't think you can say it would be
2: a lesser film. It would entirely depend on how they did that.
0: Yes, certainly, certainly. All right, but we should wrap this up. So the film ends off quite simply in a. Uh, recurrence of an earlier theme, Zenjiro is returning home and claims he's being followed. But this time he is actually being followed by Kuninao. And Kuninao invites everyone out to watch him enter a drinking contest. And Hokusai's like, yeah, I'm going to go eat noodles, which I guess (laughs) is his uh, excuse for going to do this. But Oe stays at home to try drawing. But she uh, tries it a few times and gets... uh, Nothing is right. So she goes out to look at the stars and she talks to Onao in heaven. Uh, And then after this, she can go back inside uh, and paint Onao playing with a goldfish uh, because Onao wanted a goldfish at the beginning. So wrapping all up in a nice bow, especially because then we cut to the bridge uh, where she was on the bridge and wrapping up the story for us. And then Q80s style... Uh, mm-hmm. what happened next flashcards as the guitars play again it was kind of nice how they just wrapped it all up like that I was yeah, like yeah. this is this is, this is this is an acceptable ending this film just sort of within the vignettes and within in the
2: whole thing just sort of ends and it's nice
1: yeah. I particularly liked the bit about Hokusai where it mentioned that he was drawing until he died and his, his dying words were I wish I had 10 more years then I would have become a real artist I just thought that worked really well. I mean, it is what actually happened, according to what we know. Yeah, he said something more or less to that effect in real life.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, wh- and like during his like later years, he was kind of obsessed with becoming the age one hundred. Like uh, <laughs> to cut back to the uh, the painting of the dragon, like that was stamped with his seal, and at that point, his seal was just the Japanese symbol for one hundred. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like. <laughs> He really, he really wanted to live to be a hundred because, like, like then he was like going to. He said, "This is when he's going to revolutionise the art world with his like drawing books." What a jerk! Uh, I know, right? <laughs> so now is like a good time to just like fill in anything that we we kind of feel like is worth mentioning that we that we didn't mention before. So mm-hmm. this is where I get to tell you just how great his painting of the dragon is, <laughs> <laughs> because. That because it's done all in black and white, but like the but it's done by making the dark by building up the dark points, so all the highlighting you see is the stuff that was left over. So he essentially painted it in negative space. And this, like, I really appreciate this. He actually did quite a lot of these dragon style paintings. Like, there's a a, like that dragon over Mount Fuji, there's one from like 40 years earlier in his life. And I was like, yeah, this is a good painting, but then I like I read up a little bit and it was like. No, this is a this is a technically impressive painting.
1: One of the things that I want to ask both of you is that while I was doing research for this film, I mean you can't really find all that much on this film specifically, but I read a whole bunch of reviews, and one of the recurring, reoccurring criticisms I read was that the film partially lost itself in sentimentality, and that it should have either focused on telling the story on trying to tell the story of O'Nao and the relationship with her and her father and Oi, or that it should have strictly stuck to the vignette style and not really attempted to try and tell an emotional story.
2: I don't really agree because they're all just vignettes in her life and it feels like the film is supposed to be a sort of character study. So, yeah. of course, having something like that is like pretty important. Also, it's in the manga, but that doesn't matter. You kind
0: of yeah, it I, think, I, think, I think this is a bad take because I think that they're um, approaching it from a certain perspective about how narratives have to be told. They're saying, well a true narrative has, like, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it builds up here, and it gets released here. Like, this film, it didn't really have a climax in the sense of, like, a thing that we were gradually building up to. Yes, Onao died, and that was kind of, like, the end point of the film. But it was just a bunch of stuff that happened to, uh, uh, to Oe, to give us a feeling for what she was like. Not that we actually know what she's like, because we know so little about her, but an interpretation of what she might be like and like this is like slice of life in the non comedic way you do it <laughs> mm-hmm. like so much yes. of slice of life is comedy that they that people forget that it can be done in a very serious manner this is a serious slice of life
1: so there you have it film professional film critics your takes are bad we say so
0: <laughs> well i consider your takes to be bad but like <laughs> yeah. but i'm not reading them or paying you to write them mm-hmm. so i don't care what you think
2: would I agree that the like final like post and now death bit isn't great? Maybe, to be honest. Uh, while the running scene is very technically uh, impressive, again with the music and the little bit after that, I don't know. I don't think that worked quite as well as it could have done.
0: I think the like this is this film is a pretty good example of like how to use your camera work in anime. We've already talked about things like uh, when I mentioned the, the way the camera focused on Tetsuzo in the first vignette sort of implied his authorship of the painting, even though we didn't see it being painted. But we get this in other things. It works for comedy when they're at the bar in the first vignette, like with the geisha-style woman. I, I I hesitate to refer to her as that, but you know what I mean. Like, they're all just chatting, and then the camera just pulls out to include her when she says something. And it was like, the comedic timing was really good on that.
2: Also, a bunch of stuff with how I now perceives the world is good. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's sometimes a little weird when they do CG, because it kind of makes some of the movements a bit more noticeable than it needs to be. But yeah. there's like a, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And like at no point did we mention the fact that the painting in this anime is done diegetically. Right, like, it's not just, (laughs) here is a uh, picture of a general, it's, here is Hokusai painting a general.
2: Yeah. The only exception for that is we don't see her painting the,
0: well, do we see her painting the painting of an owl at the end? I can't remember now, I think it was just implied. She was definitely sitting over it. (laughs) And we
2: see a ton of, like, crumpled up papers, because that's uh, how she does things.
0: I mean, I
1: definitely agree that not every anime needs flashy or dynamic camera work. This anime is like a great example for how strong, how a strong composition can just improve every shot you have. I think we talked about this a lot with the uh, title shot and just how well it was composed in the way the characters and uh, the title card were framed. But there's a dozen other shots I could call out to, like the ones where they're on their way home, the one where she's looking at the fire, that are just beautifully composed. Also, another uh, good thing, uh,
2: another good de- demonstration of the virtues of uh, very very detailed but subtle character acting, because it carried most of the emotion in this film, at least to me. Mm-hmm.
0: I think the only thing I haven't mentioned I usually talk about are the voice actors, but I don't have a lot to say about them to the, uh, this week anyway, because they're not voice actors, they're regular actors. Uh, like, so, we have, so we have Anne Watanabe, who is famous, I guess, primarily as a model. Her only other credit, Birthday Wonderland, also by this director.
2: Her only really other anime credit, she's in a lot of TV dramas.
0: Yeah, she is, mm-hmm. she, yeah she, she, she's an actress. She's got a lot of TV work. And this is the same for Yutaka Matsushike, who is Tetsuzo. This is his only anime role. But he's a famous actor in his own right. And I'm not really quite sure why they made that decision. Sometimes we single them out when they pick uh, people who are actors instead of voice actors because we feel that they bring a different sensibility to it that's a little bit more, I hesitate to say serious, but like, we kind of we kind of feel it. <laughs> like, like I've said many times,
2: it doesn't feel like quote-unquote anime acting. Uh, so Keiichi Chihara was asked about this, and he said he really liked her performance in a uh, TV drama, and uh, um, apparently when they contacted her, she was a big fan of Sugiyura's work, so it was, you know, hit off immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, her performance is very good. Yeah, uh, she yeah, doesn't you have that much dialogue, but, like... It's all very, like, um, you know, well-delivered. One final note for me, uh, I like the ending song, uh, possibly just because I like Sheena Ringo, but whatever. Again, it's slightly anachronistic um, and sort of... It's not really happy or sad or any other emotion in particular, so I I kind of like it for that.
1: Yeah, I can't really remember it, but I think it was fine. (laughs) I think, and I think
0: with that, we've kind of exhausted ourselves. I, ha- I, I have read so much about Hokusai, it's not even funny. <laughs>
1: I think this podcast will end up being longer than the actual movie, so it'll make for an interesting commentary if you listen to this after having watched <laughs> the movie.
0: <laughs>
1: but I think now it's time to rate this movie. So, Ian, how many woodblocks would you give this out of five?
0: You know, I I chose Woodlocks here, but I was actually thinking this was a mistake. But whatever. (laughs) This is actually tough. I don't know that it's a five, but it's definitely at least a four. Is it a four and a half? It might be a four and a half. Let's call it four and a half. How about you, Denny?
1: Well, my view of the film has actually improved on the subsequent rewatch I did and during this podcast. That was initially... Mostly just okay with the film, but with everything we've really pointed out during this, and the more I thought about the various scenes and especially the strong visual composition, the acting, and the great voice work, the more i th- the more I ended up liking this film. So I actually think I agree with Ian a four point five seems like a pretty good rating for this film. And Euphra, so you know me, I love my plotless character
2: study bullshit films (laughs) um as do i yes which is why i'm gonna give this a four no um (laughs) okay so i really like this film or i think this film's very good but i do not have very strong feelings about it which makes this rating awkward i'll give it a four and a half It's a good film, you should watch it, but you do need to keep in mind that it is not structured like a regular movie, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you might not be into that.
0: And very importantly, it is not a biopic. Do not take your ideas about her life from this film. (laughs) All right. So, verdicts are rendered. Denny, do you have any additional pieces of trivia for us?
1: Well... I have one piece of trivia, but I do want to ask questions, because we I did s- say this earlier. How many episodes of shit, Crayon Shinchan do you think there are?
0: Oh, you're serious? Uh, Not as many as I Uh 652. Freya? 713
1: and I guessed about 800, and that means I was actually closest because there are thirty five episodes of Crayon Shin-chan. Well, oh, really
0: Christ. True.
1: But the actual uh, piece of trivia regarding this movie is that uh, hokusai happens to be a servant in Fate Go. She's a saber-class servant, and her father accompanies her as like an octopus mascot. Goddammit, Fate, where won't you stick your tentacles into.
0: And her special moves are based on some of his paintings. Not her paintings, unfortunately. Although, she may have had some input in the paintings. I don't yeah. know. I
2: think she's one of the more popular ones. Based purely on the amount of fan art I've seen. <laughs> fate. I would, I would like it, Fate, if you fucked off. Although, I will say that her, like, uh... Whichever one is where she's dressed like a normal person is actually one of the least shitty things I've seen from Fate. Uh, She she actually looks kind of cool. Uh, And then, of course, the other ones where she is not dressed like that uh, are
1: terrible. And with that, the only thing remaining is for you, Ian, to tell us what we'll be
0: watching next week. Okay, our next normal episode. Wink. (laughs) Uh, will be on Le Portrait de Petite Cosette. Denny, is that okay for French pronunciation?
1: Yeah, Le Le Portrait de Petite Cosette.
0: Okay. An OVA from, I want to say, 2004. Probably slightly before that.
1: We're going
2: back to Simbo after going back to ID. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I, I realized that uh, like after we are doing it, because like, Denny was like, oh, we've got a ban on IG stuff, and it's like, we didn't actually have a ban, it was, kind of a so- it was kind of a soft ban, let's lay off the production IG, but if we're going back to production IG, this is when we get to bring back Shimbo.
2: <laughs> the week after uh, that, we're going to do something written by Thingy. We're the Anime Research Group, a weekly podcast coming out every Thursday, except last one, I guess. If you'd like to tell us what you thought of the episode or suggest something for future episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at research underscore anime or drop us an email at researchanime at gmail.com.
0: Please send me a death threat. It's how I'll know I've made it.